Amen. That was a blessing to hear you sing the last little bit. Hear that you keep falling in love with Him over and over again. Not that you lost that love, I hope. But if you did, you can fall in love with Him again. And that's my prayer this afternoon. I'd actually like to sing one more song. The title of the message today is Loyal Lovers of King Jesus. Loyal Lovers of King Jesus. There's a song that we maybe sang earlier this week, I can't remember, but I think you're all familiar with it. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. Let's commit that again right now and sing it together. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. The cross before me, the world behind me, the cross before me, the world behind me, the cross before me, the world behind me, no turning back, no turning back, if no Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. O Lord, our Heavenly Father, we pause in the name of Jesus this afternoon. Lord, we entreat Your presence in this hour. We need You, Father, to portray this message. I know, Lord, it's a matter of life and death. I know, Father, we're a group of people who have been called to be soldiers of King Jesus. Lovers of our Savior. The one who is the lover of our souls. Lord, we want to be loyal. That's the message today, Father. Lord, I need this message too, Lord. Please forgive and cleanse my heart and my hands. Give each one an open heart this afternoon. Take away drowsiness and distraction, prejudice and reaction. And give us a love for Jesus that will not be quenched. Lord, we sang this morning about Your love that will not let us go. And I had to think of that other hymn we sing that I'm holding Him. He's holding me. Oh Lord, hold on eternally. We're holding on, Lord. We thank You for holding on even tighter. Just keep holding on, Lord, eternally. Bless us this time. 
Father, I pray that You will expand the minutes to contain the message that You would have for us today. In Jesus' name, Amen. Three hundred and three years after Jesus Christ was born, there was a 14-year-old boy named Pancretus. Fourteen years old, a young man. That young man in the city of Rome gave his life to Jesus Christ. He became a Christian as a young man in 303 A.D. It wasn't long till he was captured. The Roman emperor at the time was the emperor Diocletian. This young man was actually brought into court on trial before the emperor himself. The emperor Diocletian, the ruler of the Roman world. The greatest city in the world in 303. As the young man gave his testimony before Emperor Diocletian, the emperor, who was a wicked man, was touched. He was touched by the testimony of this 14-year-old young man. He said, Pancretus... I'll tell you what. If you will renounce Christianity and just show honor to our Roman gods, not only will I pardon you, I will adopt you as my own son. What an incredible offer. Emperor Diocletian, the ruler of the known world at that time, offered a 14-year-old boy to adopt him as his own son. Can you imagine the opportunity? Can you imagine the potential? Can you imagine the luxury, the opportunities for a young man's flesh to indulge itself in every imaginable pleasure? Pancretus renounced the Roman gods. And he stood faithful to Jesus Christ. He said, I will not. I will stand for my Jesus at 14 years old. You know, people's attitudes can change pretty quick. The emperor Diocletian became angry. He became enraged that this young man wouldn't accept the offer that he had given him. He ordered his guards to take this boy outside of the city. You take him out along the road called the Aurelian Way. And I want you to take him there and cut off his head. Pancretus stood steadfast. And at 14 years old, this loyal young servant of Jesus Christ stood for Jesus right to the end. They took him out of the city. 
took him out along the road, and there they cut off his head. And he died at 14 years old. Did he lose? No, he won! Praise God! This young man was loyal to the real king, the King of kings and Lord of lords. Praise God this afternoon. He was a loyal lover of King Jesus. That's the title of our message this afternoon. Loyal lovers of King Jesus. This afternoon I'd like to consider, first of all, the call to be loyal soldiers of Jesus Christ. Then I'd like to to focus in a little bit on, on kind of one area of the battlefront that I believe is especially confronting you folks, the youth of 2010. It's not the only one, but it's one of the real fronts that is confronting you that I don't believe confronted your grandparents. I'd like to focus in a little bit on that. Then as the Lord multiplies and expands the minutes to contain the message, I would like to conclude with about five points of discernment and challenge for you. In light of this message, the call to be loyal lovers of King Jesus. My commission this week was to give prophetic words on practical, biblical character qualities of youth with purpose. And we remember that purpose is prothesis. It's willing to, to boldly set forth your intention to be a follower of Jesus, just like that 14-year-old Pancretus was not ashamed to do. He was a youth with prothesis. He had a purpose. His purpose was to live for Jesus. And he didn't live long for Jesus, but he lived loyally for Jesus. And that's what's important. And he'll live for eternity in the presence of God. I'd like to ask you to pray that God will help me with the time in this message. I would like to define to you loyalty. That was the message I was given for today. Loyalty. And the subheading I was given under that was love Jesus, not the world. Love Jesus, not the world. Loyalty. What is loyalty? A dictionary definition of loyalty is fidelity to a prince or a sovereign, to a husband or a lover. It's steadfast devotion of an unquestioning kind that one feels for family or friend or country or a sovereign. Some synonyms for this word loyalty would be words like faithfulness, allegiance, trueness, fidelity, constancy, devotion, stalwartness, and honor. Loyalty. Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords, every one of you is here this afternoon because you want to follow Jesus like we just sang. In fact, you've decided, you've purposed to follow Jesus. Since we want to be serious about following Him, we're interested in that, we're serious, we've decided, you said it, I've decided. That decision is passed. 
I've decided to follow Jesus. Then we want to understand what is that? What really is that to follow Jesus? Well, we've got a whole book that tells us about that. We've got the Holy Spirit that speaks to us about that. But we'd like to at least listen a little bit to some of the things that Jesus said about what it would be to follow Him. You know, Jesus began His ministry here on earth with this proclamation. He said, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. There's something about to happen, and I want you to repent because it's about to happen. Turn from your sinful ways because there's a kingdom. Remember? We're talking about a king. And so when there's a king, there's a kingdom. A kingdom. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. As he proclaimed this good news, we call it the gospel. That's what that word gospel means. It means good news or glad tidings. As he began to proclaim this good news that there's, there's a kingdom coming. There's a kingdom at hand. A small group of men and women began to follow him. They began to follow him right here on earth in his earthly ministry. They heard his amazing Teaching. They saw His love. They witnessed His astonishing miracles. They observed His simple path of life. They saw His kindness and care. For mankind. They followed him. Small group, and it began to grow. As Jesus began to enter the last days of his ministry, he was here. His ministry was three to three and a half years. He began to tell his followers very clearly what it would mean to be his disciple. Those followers, he told them. He began to tell them more clearly what it was going to be to be His disciple. This afternoon, brothers and sisters, those words have not changed. The same words. Still the Bible we're upholding. And I'm learning along with you, but I've decided to follow Jesus. There's no turning back. No turning back. These words require our thoughtful and careful consideration and they demand they demand a personal life decision remember remember this in all your decisions and all your journey of life young man and young woman remember this you can't afford to forget this Jesus said his followers would be few the disciples specifically asked him that one time It's not fair to you. I don't want your blood on my hands to not reveal this clearly in this message that Jesus made it clear. It's going to be few. His disciples came to Him with that specific question. Lord, are there few that be saved? That's a fair question. Lord, are we talking about a lot of people or are there few? Jesus' answer was this. Strive to enter in at the straight gate. Brother Leslie told us that word straight means a narrow. 
a difficult place. It's the only, it's the way of Christ. It's the way of following Jesus. The one who atoned and shed his blood for our sins. That's the only way. And it's to follow him. Strive to enter in at the straight gate, he said. For many are going to go a broad way. Well, let's look together at what Jesus said it would be to follow Him. We have some passages in St. John. I want to briefly highlight some of the main points of each passage. I hope you're prepared to turn quickly. Go ahead and turn to the Gospel of John. Let's start at John 13, verse 13. John 13, verse 13. I'm just going to read that one simple verse where Jesus told His disciples this. He said, You call Me Master. And Lord, and you say well, for so I am. Did you get that? I know in our setting we hear that expounded a lot, but I want you to get it fresh this afternoon. Don't just think of the context we normally think of that in. Think about what Jesus said. You call me. Do you? You call him. You call him Master and Lord, don't you? I've heard you call him that. Even as you sang, you've called him your Master and your Lord. And Jesus said... You're saying well, because that's what I am. So I am. Jump to John 15, verses 18 and 19. Remember, we're talking about being loyal lovers of King Jesus and following Him. And what is that? Jesus began to tell His disciples in these last days of His ministry what it would look like to follow Him. He wasn't going to have some great earthly military coup and set up an earthly government and kingdom like they first expected and and conquer the Romans and, and Jerusalem would become the capital of the world at that time. No, he said this. He said, the kingdom of God comes not by observation. Neither shall they say, lo here or lo there, for the kingdom of God is within you. But let's look at this passage in John 15, verses 18 to 19. Jesus said clearly, it hasn't changed for you. Beloved friends today, if the world hate you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Now I want just to highlight this quickly before I go on. Never forget this. Jesus said, if you were of the world, the world would love his own. His own, yes. The world would love His own. And it's true. You watch. You notice. If you're of the world, the world loves His own. The world chases their own. When when we're a part of the world, the world hangs on tight. The world doesn't want to let go. The world loves His own. The world loves His own. Don't ever forget it. I preached this one time, and a young man came up to me later. Actually, he's... Probably over, he's over 30 now. He still hasn't confessed Jesus Christ. But he came up to me seriously and he said, that's true. That's true. I just want to tell you. It's true. The world loves his own. He said, I get calls. I get pursuits. I get things. And he's still wrestling with the call of the gospel. Because the world loves his own and doesn't want to let go. But Jesus said, but... Because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. Therefore, the world hateth you. Let's go on. St. John 17, verses 11 to 18. Let's notice this together. We want the Word of God to speak louder than anything else today. 
John 17, verses 11 to 18. This is when Jesus was in agony right before He went to the cross. He was praying that prayer in the garden. It's often called His high priestly prayer. Let's just notice these words. And now, Jesus says in verse 11, He's praying in agony to the Father. He's talking to His Father. Now, I am no more in the world. He said, I'm coming back, God. But these, that's you, that's His disciples, that's His children, these are in the world. And I come to Thee. Holy Father, keep through Thine own name those whom Thou hast given Me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in Thy name. Those that Thou gavest Me I have kept, and none of them is lost but the son of perdition, that the Scripture might be fulfilled. And now come I to Thee. And these things I speak in the world, that they, that's you, friends, they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them thy word. And the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through Thy truth. Thy word is truth. As Thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I sent them into the world. Praise God this afternoon. I just want you to notice this. I'd love to to preach a while on that passage because it's so inspiring. But basically Jesus is praying to His Father and saying, Father, I've been in the world and while I was in the world, I kept them in Your name. These followers of His, those that were loyal to Him, He was right there with them. He said, I've kept them, Father, in Your name, but now I'm leaving. What's going to happen to them, Father? Now I'm leaving. I'm leaving them here. And then it's like the Lord knows. He says, sanctify them through Thy truth. Yes, Father, He was praying, Lord, I've given them Your Word. I've given it to them, Father. I've given it. They've got it. They've got Your Word. And and the world hates them because it hated me. And, And because they're not part of the world anymore. But I've given them Your Word. Sanctify them. That means set them apart Call them out to be a separate group of loyal lovers of King Jesus. Set them apart to be my servants, my followers, my bride. Set them apart, Lord. Sanctify them through Thy truth. Thy Word is truth. You have sanctifying power on your lap right now in the Word of God. But if it stays in your lap and doesn't get into your life, it will sanctify nothing. Praise God this afternoon. Jesus is calling us out. John 18, 33-37. Familiar passage. I want you to notice this. Then Pilate entered into the judgment hall again and called Jesus and said unto Him, Art thou the King of the Jews? Art thou the King of the Jews? Jesus answered him, Sayest thou this thing of thyself? Or did others tell it thee of me? Now we have Jesus Christ of Nazareth standing in a big royal Roman judgment hall. You picture if you've ever been in a courthouse. This was probably more elegant and elaborate than that in Pilate's hall. And here stands Jesus. And Pilate's asking him some questions. Are you a king? King of the Jews. I mentioned this yesterday. Jesus answered, Sayest this thing of thyself? Or did others tell it thee of me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Thine own nation and the chief priests have delivered thee unto me. What hast thou done? 
Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from hence. It's not from here, is what he's saying. Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou a king then? Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am a king. To this end was I born, and for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. Don't ever forget that. Those that are of the truth will hear His voice. What would you say, Jesus, about following you? Jesus said, Everyone that's of the truth. He told Pilate that. Looked at him in the eye, I believe, and He said, Everyone that is of the truth Here's my voice. Are you of the truth this afternoon? Are you hearing His voice? Jesus is calling us out. He's calling us to be disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. My kingdom, He said. Yes, I have a kingdom. Yes, I'm a king. But it's not of this world. If it were, I'd muster up an army. My servants would fight. There'd be no army like that army of King Jesus. And someday, we're going to see it when He comes as that rider on a white horse. And behind Him come the armies, the saints on white horses. Praise God. I want to be one of those. And you do too. But right now, He said to Pilate, No, not that kind of a kingdom, Pilate. No, I'm not calling them to take up swords and guns and spears. No, it's not of this world. It's going to be a different kind of kingdom. It's going to be a lot more revolutionary than that, Pilate. It's going to change the world. In fact, the testimony of the world itself will be, these that have turned the world upside down have come hither also. It's going to turn the world upside down. John 20, verse 21, the last passage I want to look at here quickly. John 20, verse 21. This is after Jesus went to the cross and shed His blood as a ransom payment for my embarrassing, wretched sin and for yours too. He paid that price in full. Then He rose again triumphant over death and hell and the grave. As we often hear, He rose triumphant. He spoke to His disciples. And here's what He said in John 20, verse 21. Then said Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you. As My Father hath sent Me, even so send I you. As My Father hath sent Me. How did the Father send Jesus? As My Father hath sent Me, even so send I you. I'd like to ponder that just a little more. Loyalty. A huge issue in any army, in any kingdom. As My Father hath sent Me, even so send I you. How did the Father send Jesus? I know this is kind of a ridiculous thought. I don't want to be even remotely disrespectful of the Lord Jesus as I, as I invite you to think about this a little bit. Imagine, imagine this. If when Jesus came down as a baby and was born in Bethlehem according to the amazing prophecies that we have of the Messiah. He was born there in Bethlehem and 
And he grew to manhood in Nazareth of Galilee. And as he became a man and and began his ministry, he started occasionally enjoying a few of the things that, that the world in that day had to offer around him. What if he just took a break from his father's business now and then? And just kind of fit in for an evening or two. Actually, thank you, brother. Just imagine that. I don't want to be disrespectful of our Lord, but I, I want you to imagine. He's grown up now. He's beginning his ministry. But now and then, isn't it reasonable? Just, just a break from his father's business. Surely just an evening off. Just go kind of fit in and enjoy some of the other young men that he was around. What if he spent four or five days out of the week doing his Father's will? But maybe relax the standards a little bit the rest of the time. What if this Jesus who grew up according to the prophecies of the Messiah, was born in Bethlehem, grew up according to the Scripture, and began His ministry... What if he, in order to maybe reach out to a little broader audience, just kind of tried some of the, the current methods and, and took on some of the tactics that would have been popular in Israel and in the, the, the Grecian culture and in the Roman Empire in that day. Just maybe to, to get a few others drawn into his movement. Would this have blessed his earthly ministry? No, of course not. I know you just kind of repel at this thought that I've been describing, and I do too. Of course not. It would have ruined his ministry. It would have ruined it. Jesus came with an absolute resolve to do his Father's business. Does that mean it was easy? Absolutely not. The Bible makes it very clear that he was tempted in all points, like as we are, yet without sin. It wasn't easy. He was tempted. You ever had temptation just rage in your heart like a lion, where you hardly know if you can go on? We've talked about some of that. Jesus was tempted in all points, like as we, just like as we. I think He can identify just as well to the temptations that you ladies may have have felt as much as the men may feel because He's God and and He experienced that experience of humanity. It wasn't easy. But you know, that's exactly what Satan tried to accomplish as he came and tempted the Lord Jesus. He wanted to get Him to compromise. But Jesus said, Get away from here, Satan. Later He said, I do always those things that Please, my Father. Now, young brother and sister, what about you? Jesus has told you, As my Father hath sent me, even so send I you. I want you to just back up a minute. And consider 
consider the angels. The Bible says this. It says that now unto the principalities and powers in the heavenly places, and I believe that's a reference to the angels, the thousands of hosts of God's angels, now unto the principalities and powers in the heavenly places might be made known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. That means angels are looking down and watching the church and and seeing God's wisdom. Things that the Bible says even the angels desire to look into. I think it's awesome to them, but imagine this. Think how absolutely ridiculous it must look to the angels, your ministering spirits, when they observe, as they look down, because God's making something known to them as they watch the church, think how ridiculous it must look when they observe those who claim to follow Christ and they get all caught up in in chasing after professional sports. Or they get all caught up in listening to world-flavored music. Even lying Lucifer's Christian variety. Think how ridiculous it must look when the angels look down at these, this army that, that Christ has called out to be His loyal lovers and followers. And He sees them chasing after things like nice cars and cool trucks or wasting untold productive time or downright destructive time online. Or getting caught up in shopping for nice clothes. Or spending an evening just kind of kicking back with a a movie or a video. You know, nothing too bad here, but... Spending hours and dollars that belong to their Lord on expensive recreation and amusement opportunities. Think how this must look to the angels as they look at these folks who said, I've decided, count me in, I'm a follower of Jesus. And the angels look down and they hear that proclamation and then they see that. Think about when they see them clouding their minds with fantasy novels. Even the cheap Christian sort. Or chasing after expensive phones or iPods for their own image and mindless entertainment and endless hours of texting. Think how ridiculous that must look. When the angels looked out, these are the soldiers. These are the ones that are in, in the army of Jesus Christ. And they're wasting their time doing that stuff. All caught up in that stuff. What must those angels think? Doesn't the Bible say they're ministering spirits sent forth For one purpose, what's it say? To minister to those who shall be heirs of salvation. That's you. Heirs of salvation. These angels are actually assigned to help you, to minister to you. And and they see that. They see that that we're no more serious than that. I don't know where you're at today, but I just want to challenge your mind a little bit. 
The call is to give prophetic words and to speak forth the mind of God. And I trust before God that I'm being loyal to Him. I need this challenge myself. Loyalty. Oh friends, brothers, sisters, if we can only grasp the excitement, the fulfillment, the blessing of being loyal soldiers of Jesus Christ. Loyalty. I heard a man of God say just a few weeks ago, he said, you will be a traitor to one or the other. You choose. You're either going to be a traitor to Jesus Christ or you're going to be a traitor to the world. You pick a traitor to one or the other. You're simply not going to fit into the world and the kingdom at the same time. And I will tell you, I've wrestled with this myself, but you will live a frustrated, confused, perplexed, up and down life until you will allow the Lord to reveal what it is to be loyal to Him, the Lord Jesus and His kingdom. It gets down to this. Who is going to die in my life? Am I going to crucify Jesus again? Is it going to be Joe? Or is it going to be Jesus? Who's going to die? Which one's going to live? My Lord Jesus has already died for me. Am I going to crucify Him again? And put Him to an open shame? Who's going to die? Is it going to be Joe? Or is it going to be Jesus? Put your name in there. I have a question for you to ponder. What most proves loyalty to friends or teams or armies or organizations? Is it talk? Is it a team sweatshirt? Is it a bumper sticker? Or is it an active, loyal, lifelong commitment and sacrifice to the one you love? You know that answer. One of the strongest rebukes that Jesus ever made, I believe, in His earthly ministry was this. It's found in the 7th chapter of St. John. I'll just read it to you. Jesus looked at a group of people, a bunch of religious folks, and here's what He said. The world cannot hate you. The world cannot hate you. But me it hateth, because I testify of it that the works thereof are evil. What a rebuke. What about you? If Jesus looked at your life, would He say, the world cannot hate you. It can't hate you. You fit right in. It can't hate you. But me it hateth, Jesus said. What about you, friend? Can the world hate you because of your loyalty to King Jesus? Loyalty. That's nobility. This is real commitment. Remember, after Jesus gave some hard sayings, the Bible says that some of His disciples walked away, walked out, tempted to walk out, Some did. 
Jesus said, He gave some hard things. Some people walked away. They said, This is a hard saying. Who can hear it? And they left. Jesus looked at His disciples and He said, Will you also go away? That's a question for you this afternoon. Will you also go away? Their response was this, Lord, where would we go? Okay, so we head out. Head on through Rathrum. Blast on through Spokane. I'm headed for Seattle. Or go the other way if you want. Head towards Chicago. Where would we go? Where would we go? Where are you going to find the words of life? Of eternal life? Lord, to whom shall we go? They said, you have the words of eternal life. You can walk away. Some did. Many still are. Where are you going to go? Where are you going to go? You really going to find fulfillment? No. You'll chase after one thing after another, trying to fill that raging void within your heart and still convince yourself that maybe I've got a bumper sticker brand on my life and I'm not against bumper stickers if there's a true commitment behind it. I'm not against that. My point is, are you sold out for Jesus or are you going to also go away? Go away. And seek something else instead of the words of eternal life. No wonder. Jesus asked a very serious question. He said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things that I say? I know this is a hard call this afternoon, friends. But we want to know the truth. We want it. Scripture tells me with clarity that someday... Many people are going to stand before the throne of God and say, Lord, Lord, have we not done many wonderful things in Your name? I mean, Lord, we've, we've, we've done lots of stuff. We've... Jesus will say, depart. I never knew You. Young people, this is serious. The book of James says, you adulterers and adulteresses, let's search our hearts. I'm searching mine, even as I give this message. God forbid, ye adulterers and adulteresses, don't you know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Brother Grant gave that call here. Uh, yesterday, I believe it was, he said, You're, we're going to have to pick. We're going to either be the friend of the world or the enemy of God. Or like I said already, you'll be a traitor to one or the other. Well, I want to focus in a little bit this afternoon. I want you to think just a little bit about one area of the world. It's one of the fronts on the battle line. I want to give you a word of encouragement. I know these are strong words. They're not my words. I'm trying to give you the Jesus' words. I want to give you encouragement. I believe you do. You have decided to follow Jesus. I believe that. I'm persuaded better things of you and things that accompany salvation, though I thus speak. But I think we, we must confront the Scripture. And I want to talk about this battle line that I think is affecting every one of us, myself included. 
I want you to understand me as I speak. <clears throat> I'm warning about the danger and the abuse of what I'm about to talk about. This is just one area. The world confronts us in many areas. We live in a time when people are seeking constant connection. We live in a connected world. I don't know about you, but I brought my cell phone along. Now, I left it back in the room according to the instructions right now. I brought my cell phone. I brought my laptop along. I asked the man yesterday, and I haven't done it yet, for the code so I could check email while I'm here. I'm hoping to do that maybe later today or tomorrow. We live in a connected world. It can be a real blessing to communicate with work, with customers, with family members, with school, or maybe even with a a struggling brother or sister that maybe needs a word of encouragement or whatever. Connection. We live in a connected world. Some of these tools have awesome potential for good. I believe some of you are using some of these tools for good. I believe that and I experience some of that myself. But I'm telling you this afternoon, I'm going to sound a warning. Because I believe it goes a lot farther than just connection and communication. It can become a life pattern. Constant sound. Constant communication. Constant visual stimulation. I am amazed how it has moved from the ability, first of all, to talk and to hear, now to be able to see and experience real time. You know, friends, God has given us gates. I know you know that. I think it's been mentioned already this week. God has given each of us gates. Each of our senses are a gate. We have the ear gate. We have the eye gate. We have the nose and smelling gate. We have the mouth and taste gate. We have the touch and feeling gate. Those gates are in every one of our lives. We have those gates. I want you to know that our Lord Jesus loves those gates. Our God created those gates. He wants to use them for your blessing and for your, your, your help and your, your encouragement and, and even your joy and enjoyment. And for His glory, He wants to use those gates. But I'll tell you, someone else is also interested in those gates. He's very interested in those gates and he studies how to get through those gates. By the way, I wonder, the way things are moving, how soon you'll be able to electronically send the smell of your new lotion. Or electronically transfer the the taste of a fresh pizza or electronically transmit the sensation of a back rub or something like that. It, it's moving fast. That We wouldn't have believed where it's at now. I know that sounds ridiculous and it kind of is. But the point is, the world is on an all-out campaign to get inside your gates. The changes even in the last ten years are Phenomenal. Phenomenal. Consider this illustration. In my occupation, 
I work with injection pumps. We do spray work. We have trucks with a big tank on the truck. We put water in the tank on the truck. And then from the cab, there's little computerized consoles where you can flip different switches because there are other tanks on the truck that contain chemicals. And on demand, you can flip a switch and you can inject into the main water tank as it's being sprayed a particular chemical. Injection systems. So we ponder injection systems and we're studying if the injection system isn't working right. We can inject various herbicides into the main spray stream to kill various types of plants. I want to tell you this afternoon, Satan has designed the ultimate injection system. It started out, it's progressing fast, television, radios, computer playing DVDs, internet movies or internet TV, little humorous or otherwise entertaining clips, uh, ridiculous things, little miniature CD players, MP3 players and iPods, smart cell phones. What's next, friends? I don't know what's coming down the pike. I have some of those things. I have some of those things. Some of those tools can be used right. Some of them I question. I realize that a box full of wires is neutral. has no moral quality of itself. It's the way it's used. But some things are so full of wrong use that they have no redeeming value for themselves. I will say that. And you'll have to sort that out uh, as time goes on. And I hope you are willing to have some help with that. But just think of this. My point is, these are becoming Satan's injection system into your life. Remember those gates? The ear gate, the eye gate, the nose and smelling gate, the taste gate. The feeling gate, the touch gate, those gates. Satan is studying the gates of humanity. He's ramping up his warfare. And you have been called to be soldiers of Jesus Christ. But Satan's ramping it up. He's studying your gate. How can I get through your gate? Your gate. How can I get into your gates? Your gates. I think he studies that carefully. How can I get into your gates? he's a great learner by observation he knows what works and he's looking to get in your gates it's like an IV of hell hormones constantly pumping the attitudes the values the material mindset the fears the scorn the sin of the world into the mental circulatory system of what whoever happens to have the needle in their veins 
That's why I drew this picture up on the board. The picture, a poor picture, but it represents an IV. Someone who has a needle in their veins. An IV is an injection system. It's pumping something into someone's bloodstream. And it matters what's in this little bag as to what's going, the effect going to be on the human body. But Satan has his injection system. He's got an IV of hell hormones. And he's pumping those attitudes. The mindset. Like I said, the fears, the scorn, the, the values of the world into everyone who's willing to to let that needle be in their veins and to let that pump, pump into their life. It has an effect. I have heard testimonies myself coming out of our own Christian circles of young men and even young women who just can't figure out why they can't manage to get victory in their life over sin or in in some area of their life, over some besetting sin. Why can't I get victory? And then, as you talk, sometimes there's an acknowledgement that I'm addicted to compromising music, for example, or other things. No wonder. No wonder. There's no victory. No wonder. Proverbs 19.27 says this, Cease, my son, cease, my daughter, to hear the instruction that is causing you to err from the words of knowledge. I want to warn you that some of it is creeping into your lives Because it claims to be coming from sheep. But I smell the breath of a wolf. I want to warn you also. Again, I trust you're understanding me. I'm not saying there's no useful application to some of these boxes full of wires. I've utilized some of them myself. Not saying that. But I want to warn you about the theater and, and the entertainment of movies and videos and that whole realm of entertainment that so quickly creeps into your life. I want to warn you. There may be some good sanctified uses for the screen. I believe there is. But just remember this. Many, many Christians down through history attended the theater. They went to the theater. But I'll tell you what. They weren't there to be entertained. They were the entertainment. As they were thrown to the lions or killed or burnt like burning torches out in the middle of the Roman arenas. They were there at the theater, all right, but they weren't there to be mindlessly entertained. They were the entertainment. The crowds, the bloodthirsty, the flesh-hungry crowds stood and watched and roared as your forefathers were burnt, slaughtered by lions, went to the stake, whatever it might be. They were the entertainment. And as you... Feel a little lust creeping up in your heart for a little mindless entertainment. Remember that. Remember that. 
Turn with me to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1, I'd like to read verses 9 through 11. I want you to hear the heart of the Apostle Paul for the church at Philippi. Wonderful words here. They're a tremendous key and a help to you. Philippians 1 verse 9, And this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, that you may approve things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense until the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. Did you notice that? Paul pled. And oh, I offer that today as a, as a ray of hope to you, a, a word of encouragement to you. I know this message is strong. I'm for you. God is for you. I'm there with you. I just want to sound the warning, friends. But, but notice what Paul said to the church at Philippi. He said, this I pray. And I can say this afternoon, this I pray. This your godly parents and, and, and those who care truly about the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ and are serious about following Him, him this they pray. What? That your love may abound. Your love may abound as loyal lovers of King Jesus. Yet more and more in what? In knowledge and in all judgment that you may approve things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense until the day of Christ. Approving things that are excellent. This is a call. This is a call to each of us. A very serious crying call to our generation. So I have five points in closing that I'd want you to consider. Point number one is there is a crying need for spiritual discernment in this generation. I'll say it again. There is a crying need for spiritual discernment in this generation. Pray for it. Pursue it. Be a youth with purpose. Be a youth with prothesis willing to set forth clearly your intention to be a loyal lover of King Jesus, your captain who's gone before. A crying need for spiritual discernment. And there's some real keys there in Philippians where he says that you may approve things that are excellent. That word excellent literally could be translated things that differ. Things that are different than the norm. Things that are better than the norm. A higher standard. That you may approve things that are not just okay. Not just things that you can get by with. But things that are excellent. That you may be sincere and without offense until the day of Jesus Christ. Praise God. That is a great need among us. Point number two. I want you to hear this. It may be a little too much to write down. Maybe you can just get the gist. But here's the point I want to share. It's been a burden on my heart. Whether or not I have a conviction on a particular subject is not the ultimate deciding factor of its rightness or wrongness before God. 
If the Word teaches it, and I say, well, I haven't been convicted of this, then I must either, as I come to that understanding of what the Word of God says, and I need to be seeking to know what the Word of God says, as I come to understand, I must either submit my life to the Word of God and be a loyal lover of King Jesus, Or, find myself in rebellion against God. My convenient lack of conviction frees me of nothing. Point number three. Just because something is supporting a good cause does not give any reason to compromise with the world's spirit or with the world's methods. I want to say that again. Just because something is supporting a good cause does not give any reason to compromise with the world's spirit and with the world's methods. Soldiers of Jesus Christ who are loyal lovers of their King have no business going to some kind of an event that is supposedly supporting Christian benefits or activities when the world's spirit, even with a Christ label on it, from lying Lucifer, is pasted there. Shame. I will stand against that. That is not the way I plan to live my life or teach. That is not right, beloved. Number four, pilgrims and strangers. This mind is crucial. Otherwise, this message, these things won't make sense. You'll be just like those disciples who said, this is, this is kind of a hard saying. Who can hear that? Come on, get relevant, man. This is 2010. And they'll walk away. They'll walk away. And they'll keep their sticker on. But they'll walk away. They'll walk away. But Jesus is asking you this afternoon, will you also go away? No. Where would we go, Lord? To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Pilgrims and strangers, the Apostle Peter said, I beseech you. That means I plead with you. That's my heart this afternoon. I know I can feel that I'm speaking strongly, but my heart is to beseech you, to plead with you as pilgrims and strangers. That's what Peter did. I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims that you abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. Remember, we're at war. We're soldiers, these fleshly lusts. They war against your soul. I beseech you, cultivate the mindset of a stranger and a pilgrim. A pilgrim's not at home. He's headed somewhere. He knows where he's going. And he's not at home here. He's not at home here. Point number five. Someday serious servants. Someday serious servants. 
a great curse. Jesus warned of this in a passage that I'm about to share with you. What are your life plans that you think you should work on getting established or out of the way before you really get serious with the Lord Jesus? Are you a someday serious servant? I want to read to you a couple of passages out of the book of Luke. One of the brethren mentioned one of these already. You can write them down. I'm just going to read them to you. You can turn if you like, but you can also just listen. Luke 9, 57-62. Here's what we have. It came to pass that as they went in the way, that was Jesus and His disciples, a certain man said to Him, Lord, I will follow Thee whithersoever Thou goest. And Jesus said unto him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man hath not where to lay His head. And He said to another, Follow Me. Jesus said to another, Follow Me. But He said, Lord, suffer Me first to go and bury My Father. Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their dead, but go thou and preach the kingdom of God. And another said, Lord, I will follow Thee. But first let me go bid farewell to them which are at my whole house, at home in my house. Jesus said unto him, No man, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. Luke 14, 16-24 Then he said unto them, this is Jesus, A certain man made a great supper and bade many. And he sent his servant at supper time to say to them that were bidden, Come, for all things are now ready. And they all with one consent began to make excuse. The first said unto him, I've bought a piece of ground and I must needs go see it. I pray thee, have me excused, Lord, uh, at least for now. I'm adding that in, but that's kind of the the setting here. And another said, well, I've bought five yoke of oxen and I go to prove them. I pray thee, have me excused, Lord, uh, at least for now. And another said, I've married a wife and, and I can't go. Therefore, I cannot come. So that servant came and showed his Lord these things. Then the master of the house, being angry, said unto his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in hither the poor and the maimed and the halt and the blind. And the servant said, Lord, it is done as thou hast commanded, and yet there is room. The Lord said unto the servant, Go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. For I say unto you that none of those men which were bidden shall taste of my supper. The point is, in this last point, someday serious servants, it's a great curse. I don't know about you, but I've had those times where conviction began to settle on my heart. I thought there may even be some areas I wrestle with now where conviction knocks at your door in some area of your life and says, Brother Joe, here's an area I'm calling you to follow me. And I say, all right, Lord, uh, I'd like to think more about that. I've kind of got, we're kind of starting in the spring now and we're getting busy and I've got some other plans and I'd like to get to that someday. Maybe we can talk more about that. Or maybe in your life the Lord is calling you to change something. Uh, Some area you've compromised and you know it. Some area, it may be fellowship, people you're fellowshipping with that are not drawing you toward His kingdom. It may be things you've allowed creep into your life. I don't know what it is. And the Lord is knocking at the door of your heart and calling you to change. And a someday serious servant will say, well, yes, Lord, I think you're right, but, and, and I plan to get to that someday. That is Satan's lie. He's the father of lies. 
It never comes. No divided loyalties, friends. The call to follow Jesus is an exclusive call. Jesus said, you cannot serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or else you will cleave to the one and despise the other. Choose this day. If you're hearing my words, wherever you are in life, the Word of God has put you at a crossroad. You cannot travel both roads. Choose you this day whom you will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. May God bless you.